Hey guys, this is Rough Stuff Podcast number three. I'm Garrett, the CEO of Rough Stuff Specialties, and we have Mallory with us. Hi. And Greg from Rock and Road Performance, and Ryan, the Rough Stuff Sales Manager. Hey guys. Hello. How's it going? Greg, um, tell us a little bit about Rock and Road Performance and what you do. All right. So I own a company called Rock and Road Performance. Uh, we're right in the same parking lot as Rough Stuff. Uh, we do a full line of metal fabrication for people. So anything from small little brackets, little welding repairs, all the way to full builds, whether it be uh, we've done furniture, but we mainly specialize in a lot of off-road stuff. And then more detail with the off-road stuff, it's mainly specialized in suspension work. So we do a lot of you know link setups and suspension setups and modifying things and making the vehicles ride and you know perform as well as they can when they're out there uh, the other side to it we also sell service and tune a lot of different brands of performance off-road shocks so like king and radflow and ads and all those other companies so not only can we get those shocks and be a dealer for a lot of those companies and we can definitely install them in the vehicles that we build but because we do our own service work and our own tuning we can really get it that next step not just throw a set of shocks on there and hope for the best we can really dial everything in to make it work seamless and help people get the most out of their vehicles that they can right on you said you made furniture yeah, yeah i didn't know that <laughs> oh no that. like it's not very often do you also yeah. do woodworking or are you talking metal furniture uh, most of it's metal uh so my dad has a woodworking side of things that he does a lot of furniture my wife kind of does a, a mix of both i do a lot more of the metal side of things but I just like helping people out a lot of the time. And I, I do this because it's a labor of love. It's not, you know, it's, I just, I love doing it. So I've had uh, a lady, it was a little while ago, bought a table at a flea market or something or a thrift store. And it didn't quite fit in the specific area of her kitchen. And not knowing what to do, I guess people Google metal fabricators. And, you know, I, I come up on there pretty easy. And she brought it on by and, yeah, I had absolutely no problem uh, and we just cut and shortened a couple things just so it would actually fit in her, uh, in her, uh, in her kitchen. Was uh, it better. like one of those metal diner tables? Cause when I think metal kitchen table, I don't see that very often. Uh, this was more of like a stool or not like a stool. It was a, uh, kind of a rack you'd put in the corner. It was a little too wide, oh, and a little okay. too tall for what she was putting on there. I think gotcha. she had, uh, some water dispenser she was putting on top and it was too tall for her. So she wanted everything shortened. Okay. Uh, so a lot of interesting stuff like that. I like, I really like mixing it up. We do the same thing all the time. It kind of gets a little bit boring. So I really try and find different things to do or, or help a lot of people out. So rock and road is your passion project. That's what we would call that. <laughs> Absolutely. So metal fab shock tuning. Um, how did you get started and what's your like educational background and what like got you into the business? Uh, well the, on our website, which I think we'll end up talking about in a little bit uh my dad ended up buying a jeep uh wrangler when i was 11 years old and kind of started doing more family stuff together you know a little bit of wheeling and camping and uh kind of started modifying things i helped him put the first lift kit on it and everything just when i was young i've always liked taking things apart and fixing things and figuring out how things work and uh after i graduated high school uh i really started off-roading a lot more and I went to Sierra College, which is actually where I met Ryan. I was going to ask you guys that. How did you, did you know each other before you even worked here? Yeah, we've known yeah. each other since I think I was probably 2007 or something. Yeah, because yeah, I graduated high school in 2007, so it was that following or that first semester when we started Sierra College. Did you take a class together? Yeah, I think it was <laughs> manual transmissions. Yeah, so yeah. Ryan has a twin brother, Ron, and. <laughs> Were they both in the class? They were not in the same class. This was really bad. Uh, so I had, it was like Monday, Wednesday with Ryan in manual transmissions. And I had Tuesday, Thursday with Ron How in suspension and steering. How long did it take steering. you to figure it that out? It took me almost half the semester to figure out the different people. I started talking about a story we talked about yesterday. He's all, what are you talking about? Our staff does that all the time. I think Taylor, my assistant, was like, I didn't know for two months and was talking to them about the same thing. I figured it out now and it's really easy to tell a to difference To me, they them. look so different, yeah. but I guess we're just used to it. it, it and when I had them on different days too, it was like, So you yeah, can't remember. Bad. And well, they're dressed the same. I didn't wear the glasses. 
glasses. So and you probably um, didn't have a beard. You yeah, guys both yeah, we were both pretty clean beards. cut back then. Too, and you both so. probably had forerunners too, huh? Uh, no, I forget what he had, but I was driving a little rodeo back then. <laughs> oh, we'll have to talk about that later. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so yeah, I, I went to Sierra College. I spent two years in the automotive building. I took seventy units of automotive, uh, and then I took a bunch of welding classes while I was there as well. Uh, sometimes schedules didn't work out. I had a gap, and um, and I actually went in and got a job as an automotive technician when I was eighteen. As as soon as I can get in the industry, and uh, I've been an automotive technician. I think I was a technician for nine and three quarter years, almost ten years. But I've always liked building things and fabricating things, and uh, and definitely in the off road stuff. And uh, you know, I built my own jeep and uh, did a lot of modifications and it was kind of fun helping other people build stuff as kind of a hobby uh, from building everything up and wheeling it and trying to break things or you know really modify stuff I think when I decided to build my first suspension system it was really when off-road was getting much bigger and it was I think it was 2006 and a lot of the lift kits that were aftermarket you bolt on or something were really limited in off-roading as far as rock crawling, uh, which is what I was really interested in, was really growing. And the suspension systems out there, like double triangulated four links started coming into play. And uh, a lot of people started moving into coilovers and getting away from leaf springs and everything. So it was still, I know it had been going on for a while, but technology had been changing quite a bit uh, in the recent time. So I did a bunch of research and I designed and built my own suspension system in my Jeep. And currently most of it is still there. And it's been working great ever since. And uh, it was really cool to be able to design something and watch it work. I almost got more pleasure out of watching other people drive my Jeep off-road so I could see everything <laughs> move and work. I was always fascinated <laughs> with that stuff uh, and how things functioned. And that's I did really well in the automotive field, uh, being able to figure out why something wasn't working and you know how to reverse engineer it and figure it out and, and make it happen again. Um, but... I, I don't know if it was just the where I worked when I was automotive tech. I worked at an independent shop, so we worked on pretty much anything that came in the door. It wasn't like a specialty thing, so you're always challenged. Everything's always different. You could work on something from the 30s and then turn around and have to do something on a brand new BMW. That's so it really cool. kept you on your toes and really made you stay sharp. But the area that we worked in, people don't save up a lot of times for their car to break. They're, they don't understand what's going on. They A lot of automotive people have a, a bad you know, history. I hear a lot of horror stories about people getting ripped off or things just not getting done right. And people have that predisposition to feel like that's going to happen to them every time. So it doesn't matter how smart or clean or accurate you are, how much education you have, which it was constant schooling throughout that 10 years, always going to you know night classes and update courses. And I had my smog license and and 10 ASEs and my associate's degree in automotive. And you almost keep getting beat down all the time, no matter how good you are. It's still the same car if it's not a very good car to begin with. I mean, you repair what's damaged, but it's still run down and older. People just aren't really as happy. In this type of stuff, building things, people get so excited about it, and they'll they'll put a bunch of money and time and effort into something, and you get to see them light up when it's comes out just right and you get to see him use it and and go on adventures and have stories and stuff you don't normally get that in your regular you know getting a work vehicle or anything right so i uh i met my wife and uh her brother's pretty big into the automotive stuff as well and building things so we kind of got together and we both decided that we wanted to start a company uh doing fabrication and his background was uh shock tuning and stuff at a uh, suspension shop in roseville and uh, so we decided to, to start this business together. And then uh, in about six months of starting the business, I was trying to work full time and do the business. Uh, we got too busy and I, I couldn't handle doing both of them at the same time. I ended up having to quit my other job, which is probably one of the hardest things I ever, ever did. I had only had two jobs ever. I'm very loyal and, you know, work as hard as I can. You were there for quite a while, <clears throat> right? Like seven eight, eight and a half years. years. Yeah. Yeah, and it was like scary. my family. It's scary to put all your eggs in one basket now for a new company and a new yeah. idea, and it all relies on you and your partner. Yeah, absolutely. And then with uh, TJ and I, he had always, his background in schooling and everything was more 
law enforcement and you've been trying to do CHP and uh, a couple other uh, a couple other things and shortly after we started the business he got an acceptance letter as a warden uh, for fishing game or uh, to go to the fishing game academy so he ended up doing that for almost all the first year I was kind of on my own so that was a little stressful but within that first year uh, he ended up getting a job as a warden which is what he's currently doing now so now it's I've kind of taken over rock and road he's he's in the background uh, on occasion helping out with things and just hanging out and doing stuff uh, but within that first year just out of a two-car garage I, I it just blew up so we couldn't I couldn't uh, do enough I didn't have enough space uh, with where we were so I ended up looking for a good uh, good new location and found a home right here next to rough stuff which is awesome because you guys do mostly uh, you know parts and stuff uh, sales and I do almost all labor yeah I know it's good for us because I know we can people are always asking us like where to push people to I mean you know Ryan you get all the customers that saying who do I use and it's also knowing who to trust because like you know we don't want to send our customers to someone who you know we're not comfortable with yeah and so it's like really convenient avenue here for sure (laughs) well it's really nice if I ever need anything I just walk across the parking lot yeah Yeah. I'm curious you said in 2006 was when you started building your jeep right Mm -hmm. and getting into suspension at that time that was when Dan first started rough stuff Mm -hmm. where were you buying I know you were fabricating most probably I mean you were probably cutting your own tabs your own brackets but if you needed Himes and whatnot, where were you getting those products then? Uh, in reality, I think because Rough Stuff was just starting and I was just starting as well, the companies that were big were like uh, Curry and Genrite and stuff. So I ended up with uh, Johnny Joints at the mm-hmm. time. That's mm-hmm. what I was assuming. Um, so that's what I ended up using. Uh, all my parts, I ended up, it was <laughs> kind of ugly. It was all square tube and everything, and I had to do everything <laughs> with a grinder uh, in the garage. And I didn't have a welder or anything like that. My uncle did. So I ended up having to make my parts, like kind of piece them together and then hop in the car and drive, you know, 30 minutes to my uncle's house to weld the parts together so I can go <laughs> back home to put them on, back on the Jeep or something. I forget how long it took me to do it, but I remember just being so involved with it. I would work my 10-hour day or something at the shop that I worked at or 11 hours. I'd go home and I'd just spend four or five more hours laying under it picturing what I'm going to do, thinking about how all the individual components are going to work together and, and what's going to be the best, the, the best way to design it. And for my first go around for that stuff, it's been holding up. Like I said, everything in the, the back of my Jeep is all still original. That's is it still cool. all square tube? Yeah, <laughs> actually. Yeah. The back is, and it's hideous, but, uh, I think it took, uh, six or seven years. I went back and cut all the front out and redid it just so it was more updated and ran out of time. I, I got a huge load up of work and everything and my personal projects end up going to the back. So, yeah. and every time I want to change it, it just works so well when I actually <laughs> do go off-roading that I lose motivation, other aesthetics. I guess yeah. you kind of already explained it a little bit with the Jeep, but like with the tin- like what got you in- interested in like tinkering and working with your hands? Was it always like that or was it, did, did it come from the Jeep or did... Like, I think we've always been working on stuff. Uh, my dad has probably been a pretty big part of that. He was always, he grew up in a bad neighborhood and with not a lot of stuff. And he was always designing. He had to build his own toys. He had to Frankenstein his own bikes together when he was a kid. And he's always been engineering and building things for fun. And I found it easy to learn that kind of stuff from him. I always want to know how stuff works. So I ended up taking things apart. Uh, I found he would design something. And then I would find like two more steps I can go farther just to make it a little bit better or refine it a little bit. Uh, and isn't he some like electrical electrical engineer, right? Or no, yeah, he, uh, <laughs> he installs security systems. Oh, that's right. Okay, but uh, but yeah, he's, he's got a whole library full of physics and mathematics books and all kinds of stuff. And he does a lot of his own solid work designs and yeah, building his own things. When sure. you were a kid, were you? taking apart things that your mom was like, quit taking this apart. Uh, <laughs> I usually, like, we had a lot of, like, erector sets and Legos and Oh, okay. So you like had that. your own so, things. Yeah, we had our own, a lot of our own you things You weren't, like, to taking apart. apart her electric can opener. And she no. was, like, standing there with a can of corn. No. Really frustrated <laughs> to make dinner. Yeah, no. So other than knowing Ryan, you guys knew each other before you worked here. How did How did you get connected with Rough Stuff? I remember when... I first saw your guys's trailer in our parking lot, you and TJ, and that had to have been 
that was just when I first met you. And I think that was maybe around 2013. We established the business in June 2015. Okay, it was 2015. Yeah. I remember I was still in the front office. So that's why I remember it was not too long ago. It's actually a, a huge part of that it was all TJ, my brother-in-law. Because I'm kind of an introverted guy. Unless it's a subject I'm really into, then I can talk forever, which I try not to, but it gets away from me. Um, but if it's a subject, like when I was in taking general ed classes and stuff, I'm super quiet. I don't really talk to anybody. It takes me a long time to really warm up to people. Um, but TJ is the complete opposite. He can walk in somewhere, meet someone for five minutes, and they're telling him deep life stories and all kinds of things. And he just, he made those connections with people and it was so easy for him. So actually, he was the one that that turned me into on the rough stuff back when you guys were on Sweatshirt. Yeah, I remember him oh, like, okay. coming by. Yeah, so he would come by and he'd introduce me to you guys and stuff. And they were, they were building like that. Was it the Scout? Uh, or what was it? No, we started working on the Scout a little bit after that. That was I think we were working on one of his Toyotas and it was like either a Forerunner or something. It was quite a while ago. What was your, what was your wife's build though? Wasn't she built hers is a Scout? Yeah, yeah, that's why they were coming in. I thought, but yeah, I don't remember. Anyways. It was a long time ago. Yeah. I think those are some of the first rough stuff parts I bought. Yeah, was uh, back then. What are your, some some of your favorite uh, tried and true like um, welding equipment, off road gear items, or shop necessities? Uh, definitely. What we started with is actually TJ. It was TJ's welder that he had got. It was a uh, little. 220 uh, is a Lincoln MIG welder. And it was really good. Actually, we still have it over at the shop. It's kind of a good backup. I think we keep it spooled with a different size wire. Um, and it worked really good. You could really build some big stuff with it. It was just more of we we're really pushing its capabilities. It was a hobby, or it is a uh, hobby size. So it's only got like a 30% duty cycle. You could really overwork that thing pretty easy. So when we ended up needing a, a bigger welder, uh, actually, Tim from uh, Bleep and Jeep, who's done a bunch of videos for rough stuff and everything, uh, he was a big fabricator up in Oregon, and he had a buddy that had bought a Miller uh, 212 auto set, and he he bought it. I think he ran half a spool of wire through it and just sat in his garage, and we happened to be looking for a larger welder since we just started doing a lot more fabrication. And uh, he brought it down. We got a screaming deal on it, and that thing has been super reliable ever since. So I know there's a lot of rivalry between, you know, Miller or yeah, Lincoln or whatever. Yeah. yeah, I'm really not that. I don't have that huge of a preference. I do tend to tend to pick a brand and just stick with it, kind of for better or for worse. Um, but I have been really, really happy with a lot of the Miller stuff. We have a Miller Miller Dynasty 200 DX TIG welder that we use all the time. We have our 212 Auto set, which is. Uh, not a full professional size, but I've never been able to beat that thing up enough and it's been able to do everything that we've been trying to do. Uh, our plasma cutter, it's a Miller, uh, or it's a, uh, Lincoln torch mate. Oh yeah. Uh, I was going to ask cause that used to be ours, old right? Table that, yeah, yeah. You guys We had. loved that thing. <laughs> it's awesome for cutting tabs, brackets, oh, absolutely. all kinds of things. You, we even used to do, Garrett used to do like art pieces mm -hmm. and those are really, the ladies love them yeah the ladies love them yeah he just got some uh, like a, uh, a railing piece out for us the, the, oh the brackets the, the bracket, four bracket yeah. brackets yeah. those are cool yeah i bought i was supposed to get four and i bought three thanks for so, cutting that so last one saved, saved the day <laughs> oh that's no problem but uh yeah having good equipment you can rely on is is definitely a big thing all of our plasma cutters we have over there are hypertherm which is some of the best stuff you can have out there just something that's going to work day in and day out. You don't have to mess with it all the time and is very consistent and is very important. Do you have like a wish list of something you would like to have or something you really wish you had? Well, I'm always trying to, to grow and every job I do, I don't always do the same thing every time. I try and push each build I do or each thing I build farther. How can I design it? Originally when I started, it was just I really just needed to work. Now it's, I know it's going to work. How can I make it more efficient? How can I make it look cooler? Uh, after doing so much of the fabrication stuff, I'm like, what's really my next step? Uh, just earlier last year, right, very late last year, we ended up picking up our, our first lathe. And that's been a complete game changer, being able to modify little parts, just make things fit a lot better. Uh, a lot of times you'll get something that's just a little bit you know, too big or 
you just need to make a hole a little bit bigger and drill bits are not very good for that. So just being able to punch things out and make things a little bit better, it just fits so much better and is it's way less headache. So that was a huge game changer. So the next thing I would probably say is like a mill, which uh, would definitely be another game changer for us. What kind of lathe do you have? Uh, it's, you know, we're a small business and, and still growing. So budget's always tight. Uh, so we ended up getting a Grizzly brand. Uh, it's a 36 or a 12 by 36 gunsmithing lathe. The gunsmithing nice. ones has a little bit bigger bearings and some other. It's a bigger bore uh, too, right? It does have a bigger bore. Yeah. Uh, it's got a through bore with spider on the back, so you can actually put much longer stock through it. Uh, it does. We did get a combination mill lathe, so it does have a small mill head on it. Found <laughs> out very quickly, it's not very rigid, and the more rigid your machines can be, the better they're going to perform. So yeah. it gets the job done, but converting it from the lathe setup to the mill setup takes like half an hour and then you're done mm. with your job in 10 minutes and you swap it back and it's so having a standalone would definitely be a lot better for sure so um what have been some of your favorite projects you've worked on anything larger scale uh well every time like i was saying earlier i try and push each job farther and farther and see how much better i can do something or how much more streamline I can make it and how much cooler I can make it. And uh, a lot of times, just like everybody else, especially me, when I'm doing a build, a lot of it is based around budget. What can I afford at the time? And getting a customer every once in a while that has the budget and really likes the stuff that I build just goes, hey, I want you to kind of run with it. If like, here's what we have to work with, you know, do what you want, make it as cool as you want. And uh, we just had a job recently like that. It was a 2006 LJ, I think, on our Instagram and our uh, our website. I think we have a blog post and pictures of it and everything. And the guy basically came in. I met him during the Rough Stuff swap meet. Uh, since we're in the same parking lot, I kind of didn't do a lot of work, but I had all the doors open so I could talk to people and kind of show them around the shop and see what's going on and make those connections. And he, he looked at the Ultra 4 car that we had built and he basically said, I want all of this suspension. And it's a 4,500 stock mod class car. And he's like, I want all this on my Jeep. So we decided to, to try and make that happen. And uh, we're limited in the Ultra 4 stuff on suspension capabilities. So we were able to push a little bit farther with his, but his is his daily driver, uh, 2006 LJ with a Hemi in it, automatic transmission four-speed Atlas and being a 60s front and rear. We ended up doing a triangulated three-link in the front, I think with 2.5-inch ADS, 14-inch travel coilovers and hydraulic bump stops. The rear was a triangulated four-link with trailing arms. And uh, we stretched the wheelbase seven inches to 110. And we had a coilover, bypass shock, and bump stops in the back on 37-inch tires. The whole thing sat four inches of lift over stock. So headlight to headlights, almost the same size as my Jeep, but he's got bigger tires, way more wheelbase. It were strapped in 18 inches of wheel travel in the back and 14 in the front. And it's like driving a cloud. The thing is so smooth and comfortable. It's got a lot of power. And just having a customer that had the budget to let us be creative and push things farther and do things you know, we don't normally do, that's probably the most fun. That sounds like a fun build. Yeah, for sure. I need one of those for a mommy car. <laughs> I told Garrett I wanted a Jeep, and he's like, no, you don't, because he's thinking stock. He's like, you don't want a Jeep. Well, now I want I want a Greg Jeep. I just, well, know, your, I just got, know your personality. LJ is like 11 inches longer or something. He has no back seat in there. He's got tons of room for you know, uh, groceries and stuff. And <laughs> See? <laughs> I just have a TJ. Perfect. I got to pack everything real careful. <laughs> I have no room back there. That's awesome. That's really, really cool. Do you have any personal builds in the future that you'd like to do? Uh, Yeah, my wife and I are both car people. So I think between the two of us, we've ended up with like seven vehicles or something. And most of them run, but we do have some good project ones. Uh. The way my wife and I actually met, she graduated uh, with her bachelor's degree from uh, Davis in graphic design, but she's always been into car stuff too. And uh, she had bought a 69 International Scout 800A from, I think it was Tim's grandfather's, and it was in a farm up in Oregon, just been sitting on their property for a long time. She Tim, bought that. Tim at Bleepin'. Yeah, Go for Bleepin' Jeep, yeah. He, uh, she, was, she brought it down here, and she actually took an automotive class 
uh, at Sierra College to start learning how to work on herself, and she was going to kind of fix it up and, and get it going. At the time, I was TAing, so I'd already taken all my automotive classes, but I really loved the college and what the college was doing for everybody. So I would go in on my days off or night classes and you know, get one teacher with 35 students. In the lab section, too, you can't watch everybody. And there's a lot of people who have questions or you know, they're scared to approach the teacher. Well, I was very similar in age to a lot of the students. So uh, I would come in. I'd take over half the class for the teacher. I'd make sure everyone's you know, doing what they need to do safely. And if they have any questions, help them out. And uh, I was helping a uh, or TAing for a intro to automotive class, and Carly was in it, my wife. And that's actually how we had met. I think at the time, uh, her transmission started making noise on our Honda, and I needed a logo for my off-road club that we had started with uh, with Ryan and Ron. And uh, so she was building the, or making the logo for us, and I went to her house and helped her brother pull the transmission out, and we rebuilt it there. And then uh, right after we pulled it out, TJ, who I'd only met for like the last hour, He's like, hey, you want to go wheeling? And I'm like, <laughs> sure. And he makes a phone call, and like seven Toyotas show up in the driveway, and oh we all gosh. head off somewhere. And uh, yeah, that was pretty Everyone fun. Everyone has that friend, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, we obviously started hanging out more and everything. And after the semester had ended, we started dating. And then I ended up taking over the project, the the Scout project. And uh, it got it got along pretty far. And then uh, right after we got married you know, I got busy with a bunch of other stuff as, as life happened. So it kind of sat, but it has made its way back in the shop. And I, everything I did back then was a little uglier. So I ended up cutting everything back off and we're redoing it and really trying to push because uh, I have obviously time. I don't have the customers yelling at me or anything um, to get it done. So I have time to really push things and, and make things as nice as I can kind of as a showpiece uh, for the shop as well and give my wife something really cool to to drive around in. That's, That's cool. nice. Yeah. How do you know the guys that bleep in Jeep? Because you brought them up a few times. I know you've gone wheeling with them. How did you get connected with them? Because they're pretty huge on YouTube. Again, TJ. <laughs> okay. Maybe I need to meet TJ. <laughs> so TJ, uh, in taking a bunch of his classes, I think he ended up going to uh, Weed, California to take, I don't remember what class it was, but Tim, who was growing up in Shasta at the time, was also taking a class, and I think that's how they met. And uh, TJ, being so easy to connect with people, uh, started hanging out with Tim. So he had been uh, originally friends <clears throat> with TJ, and uh, through TJ is how I met Tim. Tim would actually, he lived in, or he still lives in the Medford area, Ashland, Medford area, and he would come down here all the time. And uh, we'd either build stuff or he'd teach us some of his uh, welding stuff since he was a fabricator up there for a long time. And uh, Tim, I think, was the first one to get signed on as a person who would contribute or a contributor to uh, to Bleep and Jeep. And he had never met uh, Matt or anything like that before. And Matt's from Knoxville, Tennessee. So it was, I think they met online somehow, and it just kind of grew from there. And just knowing Tim, uh, it's been a big, uh, big thing because any products we build, they're they're – Bleeping Jeep is pretty heavy on the Cherokee stuff. So Tim would come down and we'd talk about a product that we wanted to build or something to make it better because nothing on the aftermarket is quite what we're looking for and we could kind of refine it and make it a little bit better. So we got pushed to build some more Cherokee stuff and then we'd do install videos on it and go test it out. And and I think there's an older employee at Rough Stuff who was a sales guy, Rob, uh, he was part of the Cali Grown Wheelers Off-Road mm-hmm. Club or something, so it was a lot of Cherokees. So like our first cross members I designed, I built a couple of them and brought them down there. And and since then, we've made a couple of revisions. And uh, I think we did a big video a couple of years ago with Tim on building up his green machine, his green Cherokee. And we've had that up on our website and been selling quite a few of those. So I think I went on quite a ways around that story but (laughs) it's still interesting I asked um earlier you talked about your ultra four car can you tell us a little bit about that uh so my buddy Travis and I uh we've been buddies for quite a long time I think I met him through his brother uh at Sierra College in a welding class uh Christopher and uh Travis was doing destruction derby at the time and they wanted to they want to help in the pits and they uh wanted to do a, a tow rig 
So I brought my Jeep down to the Auburn uh, Destruction Derby at the, the Auburn Fairgrounds there. And after the round was over, we'd pull the cars out and it was a lot of fun. And like 10 years after doing that and wheeling together and everything, uh, we got the shop. I wanted to build something I can showcase because I'm always trying to do something different. And uh, But racing is kind of out of the scope for me, I think. But Travis is all doing the derby thing and being very competitive in automotive sports. He wanted to do it. So uh, through my connections, I tried to help get him as many sponsors as we could. And I said I would sponsor the whole build uh, as far as the chassis and everything else. So um rust up was a huge part of that uh i think tim has done a couple bleeping jeep videos with that and uh we talked to abs i think rough country and warren were big people that helped out and that was all through the connections tim has made from bleeping jeep and going to sema and talking to all those guys um so what we ended up building is we wanted to build a car that wasn't uh you know, it was more feasible for the, the beginner guy, something that has a little bit more restrictions. So the the playing field is more level for the the people getting into it. So in the stock mod class, stock class, I feel like those guys are a little crazy. You got to have some some cojones to, to race in that because those, those vehicles will beat you up pretty good. You're super limited. So in the stock mod class, which is what we're in the 4500 class, it's pretty open, but there's select factors that really limit it, like mechanical steering is required. You can't have more than 14 inches of wheel travel, no trailing arms, no cantilevers. has to be full-bodied, uh, resemble a production model vehicle. You're limited to 37-inch tires. So at that point, I felt like we could get into that class and still be fairly level with a lot of the other people because those restrictions are there. So we ended up designing, I wanted something different, something that would stand out. Travis actually had an old 30s Dodge cab sitting at his property in Middle Vista, and we ended up using the grill and a couple other parts from that, and it's a, a 39 Dodge pickup, all kind of rat-rotted out, uh, but it's got a, a 502 cubic inch big block in it, automatic transmission, a, a behemoth drivetrain, billet aluminum 205, it's got rough stuff axle housings on it, uh, a lot of the tabs and, and heims and tubing and everything was all purchased over at rough stuff, and uh yeah, it was a huge, big project, huge undertaking because we had a little bit of a time crunch. I was trying to build a whole car almost by myself after hours and do all the customer jobs at the same time. And that definitely took a huge toll. But uh, having something super awesome to showcase and have good sponsors and more relationships with. And what it also shows is all the same technology in the parts that we build on the race car is exactly the same stuff I translate into all of my customer builds. And we show that anything that we build, we bead the crap out of it and we make sure it can handle it. So if the customer decides to go somewhere or jump the rig or something, I know whatever we've built is gonna be able to handle that. They don't have to worry about something coming apart or something silly breaking on the trail or there being a clearance issue with something. We spend a lot of time in the little detail work and, uh, and I spent a lot of time in the chassis. It's all TIG welded to make sure, you know, to showcase that we spent a lot of time in the detail stuff, making fitment a, a huge priority and safety as well. I have a, like a different question too. Like if you were to start over again with like knowing what you know now, what would you, what would you build as like your first rig? And like what, what kind of like drivetrain would you do? Because like, you know, a lot, everyone starts out with like, say like a, something simple like a Jeep, then they start doing suspension upgrades and they find out the axles suck and they upgrade the axles and they go through all the process of like building a rig, you know, and like getting all the weak links out. Like what would you, what would you do? I don't know of too many vehicles that are really that good right out of the gate. Yeah. I think everything has got to be heavily modified. I think I got pretty lucky with the Jeep though. It was a 97 TJ first year, the all linked, all coil sprung Wranglers. So it had a nice sturdy full, full frame on it. Uh, it already had the link style suspension on there. Most of my buddies uh, were all Toyota stuff with the leaf springs. And uh, with the link suspension, it's generally a smoother ride. The way it handles and predicts, everything is super predictable and comfortable. So I feel like I kind of got spoiled with that. And it was a good thing in, at the same time. Uh, I've had that Jeep. I think I've been driving it since I was 11. I wouldn't change anything. <laughs> I'd still stick with that. I think I'll have it when I die. So, <laughs> what, you say, what year was it? 97? 97. 97 Seafoam TJ with the uh, uh, I think axles. it's like a, like a moon glow jade color or something. It's, 
<laughs> we got extra money off of it at the dealership if I died bought it because of the color. <laughs> it was great in high school That's because the, the girls always liked it. It was cute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's your secret. Um, would you like to share any tips with our listeners regarding welding or automotive or running a business? Um, I know a lot of our a lot of sales calls we get, I think Ryan, you might agree, are about welding. Yeah. Yeah, so what definitely, are, especially yeah when it comes to installing a lot of our products since the majority of our stuff is going to require welding yeah so the sales office if we could just direct all those calls to you that would be great <laughs> <laughs> do you have any tips about getting started maybe if you're not you know like a born natural fabricator like yourself um what do you suggest uh i think a big part of it people get frustrated they just they get overwhelmed with uh, with a big project. You got a lot of little things going on. I think you just gotta take your time. It's super, e- or it's a lot easier when it's something that you love. But if you just take the time and try and chunk it out into little pieces, it's not so bad when you can bite off little pieces at a time. And just take your time, cleanliness, fitment, all those things, everything's gonna fit together a lot easier. It's gonna weld a lot easier. Everything's gonna function a lot smoother. You'll have a lot less headaches. I know some people get impatient and just start chopping and hacking and slapping things together. And if it doesn't fit well and it doesn't go together well and you don't weld it very well and it ends up coming apart on the trailer or heaven forbid on the road or something like that, uh, it's just going to be a whole bad experience. So just take your time. It's I feel like a lot of people, I think we're going to talk about a like a wheel and tip or something like that. Uh, a lot of people go, oh, it's just my weekend beater rig. And they go beat on it all weekend and then go put it in the garage or it sits on the trailer and they take it right back out to the trail. They don't look at anything or maintain anything. And I feel like most of the frustrations and stuff people have are just not caring about it. You're going to have a bad weekend if you just keep beating on it and it falls apart on the trail. And then you spend your whole weekend trying to get it back off the trail. And you're like, oh, this thing's a piece of junk. You know, if you, I think putting your heart into something, actually uh, caring about your vehicle and looking over things and, you know, you, you really get to know it and uh, and you can really take care of a, like 95% of any problems you're going to have way before you ever get on the trail. A big uh, kind of example of that is in Ultra 4 racing, like King of the Hammers. I think our last rate was 168, last race was 168 miles. That's a long time. First lap is 92 miles of desert. That desert will rattle all kinds of stuff apart on your car. But if you take the time to prep everything, make sure every bolt is tight, you don't have hairline fractures on any brackets or components, it's all metal. Things fatigue and fall apart, happens to everybody. But if you stay vigilant and catch up on those things ahead of time and make sure your fitment's good and everything acts the way it needs to, you'll have way less problems. I think all of Hammers, we had like a flat tire and some bent links or something, but that's kind of part of it when you're beating on stuff that hard. Yeah, so come up with a plan, prioritize it, be patient, have some discipline. Yeah. Do you have any business advice being a business owner? Uh, Anything you would change or do differently? I'd probably pull way more hair out if I didn't love it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> There's a lot of stress and stuff. I think it's tough when you, when you start a company or you do something because you love it. Like my old boss when I was a, a, a tech, he started his own shop when he was very young. I think he was 18 at the time, and he loved it. But then you get bigger into it, and now you start getting pulled away. Like I have a huge workload, so we end up, finding uh, uh, an employee or two, things start moving a little bit better, but now on the business side of it is progressing. I'm not doing as much as what I love. I end up having to oversee a lot more stuff or the the clerical background side of it uh, really takes me away from a lot of that stuff. So if I didn't love it, the amount of stress just from everything else kind of would make it not as fun. So loving it really makes a huge difference. And another big thing is uh, my wife does a lot of the background stuff. So a lot of the bookkeeping and she has a lot of our blog posts and our website stuff and trying to trying to make sure our social media is going the way it should be and everything else is, is a huge thing. Support, I think, is massive too. You know, from her side of the family and my side of the family, I've had nothing from support, uh, nothing but support from both sides. And a lot of these other companies like Rough Stuff has been huge at supporting my company. 
Yeah, I remember when I was like just a lot younger doing iron work. I used to do like railings and ornamental iron work and stuff. And I used to think like running a business was just doing like the fun stuff of it, like building. I things. wish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and every time I tried to do like do my own thing, it's like, man, there's so much other stuff you have to do. And, awesome. Bills, yeah, phone yeah, calls, yeah. emails and customer relationships. And, running yeah, parts. Just, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, we don't have a secretary or anything like that. I do answer all of the phone calls. Uh, I don't know how many times I've started, like, I've had a, like a three foot long weld I've needed to do on something and I'll just start and I can feel my pocket start vibrating and all oh, there goes the phone. <laughs> and, uh, sometimes I gotta let those go and just finish the work that I'm doing because quality is very important. So, mm-hmm. but I always, I always return those calls and I think I feel bad because some of my emails don't get replied to as often, but it's hard when I'm in the shop all the time, jumping back on the computer and and uh, making sure I stay on top of all that. Yeah. Hoping to change that at some point. How do you, how, Ryan, how do you guys in the sales office rely on Greg? Like, what do you guys like use him for? Uh, so there's a lot of times uh, customers are, they, they think that we do custom work here. Um, so it's, it's great having Greg over there as a referral, especially if it's something, there's some stuff, uh, that Greg does and it's like, oh, if we don't know the answer to it, usually, usually he's the one to, to go to. Um, so there's a lot of times for customer support stuff, I'll ask him some, some questions and then I'll get back to, uh, our customers. Um, especially when it comes to things like, uh, you know, setting up suspensions and, uh, coilovers, things like that. I'll sure. oftentimes send them over to, uh, to Greg cause he'll be the, the one to know. Mm-hmm. So what are some of your favorite places to go wheeling? Hands down is four days. It's uh, one of the closer trails. Uh, I live in Lincoln and going up 80 is super easy. Uh, I think by the time I can get to the front of the Rubicon, I can already be in the first water crossing uh, of Fordyce. Uh, Fordyce, you tend to get, it's kind of a smaller community. because There's a lot of people around here, which I find surprising, terrified of Fordyce. The water's too deep. The rocks are too big. You know, and I always like to challenge and build things that can uh, accommodate that challenge. It's close. It's quiet. It's cool. Uh, because there's a lot of people that don't really like the trail or get scared of it or something, you end up running into the same people all the time, <laughs> which is kind of cool. It's like an extra That's little fun. family up there in the hills. Yeah. So, yeah, I would say Fordyce is probably my by far my favorite place to wheel. Do you have a bucket list of somewhere you'd like to go? Maybe out of state or? I have made a little bit of trip to uh, Moab. I would really like to do the Easter Jeep Safari and mm-hmm. see a lot more of that stuff out there. I think I've only done Hell's Revenge in a rental Jeep. We just found <laughs> ourselves out there and we're like, we got a day to kill. We did need, you get the insurance for that one? Oh, we did, yes. <laughs> um, that was the first time ever driving a JK too. It was weird. Um, that was quite a while ago. Uh, also Tim lives up in the Oregon area, uh, right next to, uh, you know, Warren and all those people is a Tillamook forest. So I would really like, I guess it's a lot more like hammers, huge and wide open, but it's more dense forest and everything else. So that's another place I'd really like to go is up to the Tillamook forest. Nice. Um, do you guys often go out together? Yeah, I think, uh, cause I, uh, Probably my second time to Fordyce was with Greg. Was that your first time when your dad and uncle went out with us too? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we, yeah, pretty much <clears throat> we did the entire Fordyce trail together for the first time. Um, and that was like right after I'd gotten my Forerunner. Um, and, you know, we, we went with probably a group, what was it, four or five rigs? Yeah. Um, none of us had been there before, so it was just all a bunch of inexperienced guys going out to Fordyce just to check it out. And That's how it should be. <laughs> yeah, we, we ended up doing the whole trail with minor damage and um, not a whole lot of fixes that we had to do on the way through. So it, Fordyce is pretty tough, huh? Like, isn't it? I, I remember doing it like a long time ago. It was, I thought it was tougher than the Rubicon. Oh, it's it's much yeah. tougher. Did yeah. we go yeah. snow wheeling up there with, with uh, the Australians? Uh, yeah, but we barely, like, we, I think we, we ended up just pulling. <laughs> yeah, we, I think we pulled Critty on my snowboard behind Garrett's Toyota. Like he'd never seen, they'd never seen snow because they were yeah. from Australia. And they were like, we'd never seen snow. We're like, we'll take you. And then we just pulled him on my snowboard yeah. <laughs> behind Toyota. I guess we didn't do a lot of wheeling that no, day. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. You guys probably just barely made it we in. Got to like the entrance. And <laughs> the staging area. Yeah. yeah. Staging yeah. Area. And we're just like um, okay, so I want to know if you have any wild trail stories. Uh, I would say, what was it? It was almost eight or nine years ago. Uh, we decided to go wheeling at Fordyce, and uh, another Fordyce story. <laughs> uh, 
And uh, it was, I think it was the first night, that night it was supposed to be the first snow up there. So it was, I think it was 40 degrees during the day. It's pouring rain, super cold. And uh, we came in through the committee side and the that committee crossing was only like halfway up our tires deep in water. So it really wasn't bad at all. But it was pouring rain and the whole trail is in like a little valley and it's all downhill and we were going down the trail. So the next water crossing was halfway at my doors and then the water crossing after that was actually over my hood and we had another one farther down the trail that was going to be even deeper. And uh, I think Ron made it all the way through the water. Yeah, you went first. I think Ron went or, first. Oh, Ron went first. And I was like, that guy's crazy. <laughs> and then my yeah. heart pounding, I was able to make it through. And then I think Ryan got like 10 feet in and hydro locked the whole motor. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, I, I made it about halfway through. And then uh, I didn't have a snorkel or anything. The intake, you know, behind the headlight on those old, old Toyotas. Uh, ended up sucking water. Um, I was sitting in a spot where the water was flowing into the door and up over my lap. And I ended up, was able to kind of use the starter to kind of crank it up to a little high point so less water was coming in at that point. Um, and then I'm like, well, it, it cranked that far and I cranked it again, ended up blowing a piston out the side of the block. <laughs> and at that point I was dead in the river. Um, and so... <laughs> I had to flag them down. The water was rushing so loud. I was like, we were had, having to like use the walkie talkies and shout to each other to even hear each other. So they ended up having to come back across while also dodging my truck. Um, I think Ron actually ran into you. Yeah, Ron, Ron ran into me, bumped, bumped off the side of me to get around. And the water swept all the tools out of the bed of his truck. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh he lost gosh. all his tools. So we just had a, a few tools that I had and what Greg fit in his TJ. Um, and it took us... Uh, Probably like at least hours to get two hours just to get it out of the river. Um, Did it run after that? It was totally. Oh dead. no, it was done. Like we, I didn't notice it until like we had to leave it out there for a while. But yeah, when we came back for it, and I got it home, and I started taking things apart, all of a sudden I could see light shining through, and I, I peeked down and I'm like, oh, there's a hole completely through the engine block oh, where no. the piston rod had swung around and put two holes in it. Like, oh, okay, that's what the problem is. Yeah, so you blew it up in the second water crossing if you're coming up from the bottom. And then we got it out, and then we had a chain tied from my Jeep to Ron's Toyota pickup to your Forerunner. Mm-hmm. And then we got all the way to windshield two, and we were towing back up the hill, and uh, we could not get it up there. It was I think it took six hours just to get to like windshield two from, from the river. Sounds fun. <laughs> so we ended up leaving it there. Yeah, we yeah. pushed it back to the bottom and was left it there. Was it buried in snow by the time you came back? Uh, we, we came back three days later. I stole yeah. the winch off my dad's Jeep, <laughs> and, uh, and I ran. we ran down there, and there was like three inches of ice or something inside <gasps> of it. We were breaking all the ice in the water coming oh. through uh, back into the trail, and luckily it was... So nasty out there. No one came out and messed with it. Or yeah, anything. since yeah. since it had snowed, no one no one else went out there to go wheeling or anything. And I was you know losing sleep at night. Like man, I hope Aww. my rig's not stripped by the time I get back out there. <laughs> I think snow wheeling looks like so much fun, but it is actually more dangerous than people think. Mm-hmm. We went out. Where did we? Was did we just go to the? Yeah, Rubicon? I think Ryan was with us too. That was we just we just uh, we went we we did like no rock climbing. We just went to like. But we on were sliding yeah. so Everyone much, spun out, like, and it was, for me, it was extremely scary. Yeah, I almost went off a cliff. Yeah, we, we yeah. got really <laughs> close to the edge, and I was like, well, I might die. Like, you just, ha- I don't know. I think it when you see the photos of people snow wheeling, it looks so plush and fun, and the wheel tread is covered in snow, and you're like, that looks really fun. And then you do it and you're like, it's icy and slippery and I might die and I'm freezing. And this Toyota, the yeah, like- he the had the whole floorboard was like, not covered in carpet anymore and there was holes in the bottom so every time we would go through snow would start like shooting through and yeah. i hated it i like leaned over to like check a gauge because they're, they're down too low so you can't like read them head on so i was like looking down below and as i look up i'm like spinning in a half circle already i'm like whoa and just kind of turned into it and like luckily there was like an edge and my tire just hit the edge and we stopped and she's like freaking out i'm like well i guess we're okay i <laughs> i hated it i don't like uh not having control you know he's with the steering wheel this way and then this way i don't like the feeling of sliding it's it's uncomfortable we went to go snow wheeling out at the eagle lakes area a while ago i showed up i think 15 20 minutes early and you're driving down that road is not maintained at all uh, once you get off the freeway 
and the uh, turn off to the staging area is a right hand turn. I'm all oh, there it is, and I turned and I just slid right past it. <laughs> and I was like, uh, I ended up hitting a berm and then coming back, and I made it back through. And I think it was Ryan, Ron, Justin, and Amy or something all coming down together. And then all of them started sliding different directions. <laughs> no one made the turn. But luckily, they ended up aiming towards different banks, and no one hit each other. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, because uh, yeah, we were all in a line, and then all of a sudden, one person slams on the brakes to try and make that turn. <laughs> they're spinning out. Everyone else is trying to slow down. And, yeah. like, there's trucks sideways, and they're, like, we're stopping within inches of each other. Somehow, no one hit each other, like, yeah. within that whole, whole scenario. The other thing I didn't like is Garrett's Toyota wasn't street legal, so we had to tow it. And so yeah, by the time we were done, it was nighttime, and it had started sprinkling, and it was frosty and icy. And so yeah, load it all up we and... load it up, we're towing and we're going down um I guess it was just Highway eighty. No, no, we were we were at the we we're at the Rubicon, so we're up in Georgetown. Oh, oh yeah. Right and it up. It, yeah. And there's patches of black ice. I think we stopped at Stumpy Meadows is where we unloaded. And as if I cool. hadn't already had enough of a rough day. You know, I'm like, okay, we're in the car with trailer the heater. Yeah. And so then um the trailer goes this way and the truck goes this way. And I'm like, well, now we're going to die. Yeah, I forgot the trailer brakes were still high from when we, when we went up. Not that high, but like higher for ice. And so as we're driving away, we're maybe going like 20 miles an hour. And I just touch the brakes and I feel the trailer, you know, jackknife a little bit. I'm like, oh, crap. Okay. So I turn off the brakes or turn them down like super low and I downshift. And then the same thing happens. The, the truck is slowing down, but the trailer is pushing me, so it jackknifes the truck and the trailer now. And there's a cliff right there too. Yeah, it was, we actually didn't get that sideways, but I'm like, holy crap! For I'm me, like, it this wasn't. Is, this is like the, like, the yeah, feeling again of sliding and having no control, and of course in the situation, I'm like. Garrett, be careful. Like, why are we doing this? And he's like, I'm trying, I'm trying. And, you know, like I do, I want you're, him you're to You're making do, it worse. I want worse him quickly. to do more. And he's like, no, do less. Yeah. It's like, I'm forgetting Sarah Marshall. Do that, but less. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. Snow wheeling, I think it's fun and it looks great and all, but yeah. those, those conditions are to me stressful. I think Ron actually rolled off of a shelf road when we were out at Signal Peak area. Oh, yeah, yeah. We were in a group of like run. five rigs going up, and it's a steep shelf road. And we made it almost all the way to the top. Everyone was just in a line and didn't quite make it. So we stopped, and we looked around, and we're like, where did Ron go? He <laughs> was at the back, and no one had seen him for a, for while. a while. Yeah, we waited up top for a few minutes. Like, oh, he's probably just behind him catch up. Trying to call him too. and hit him on the CB, and he's all, I rolled off the cliff. And we went down there. Luckily, he's got a full exo cage in his, in his truck. And he rolled all the way over and landed DB to the tire. But he's all, I got checks mix everywhere. Was all over the <laughs> That's place. what he's the most worried about. <laughs> yeah, so right. obviously it was like just a couple rolls. It wasn't I think it was just one roll. And as soon as it landed, the, the tire that first impacted blew out. Um, and all you know, all his tools again <laughs> fell out of the truck. How many tool so, sets has he invested in? <laughs> yeah. So by the time we got there, he had just finished like loading his tools back in the bed of the truck, and he's we're like, "What the hell happened?" He's like, "Oh, I slid off the cliff," and he's just down there waiting for us to turn around and find him. <laughs> yeah. What I think of is all the trees that you could hit down that are on the side, or obviously he wasn't down a very steep one, but there's plenty of steep ones. So those. My mind goes straight to those yeah, scenarios. Those will save your life, though, too, from going yeah. all the way down the cliff. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but also, if you're going yeah. fast enough and you smack yeah, into totally. one, or if your window's open, and obviously you need to be wearing your seatbelt at all times, but my mind goes straight to that, and I definitely am not worried about my checks. Yeah. <laughs> difference between men and women. <laughs> I get a lot of people ask about, you know, I just want a simple cage for just a little bit of protection. I'm like, a little bit. Or they talk about how expensive DOM is or something like that. I'm all, that's your, your life. life. I can't yeah. just do something super simple. Uh, at Stampede this year, we uh, rolled the uh, the 4500 car, and I think we were doing like 55 miles an hour. went wow. over four times sideways. It didn't do a single thing to the truck, and that was definitely interesting to be flung around in the car that quick. And then they just they said... Just sit still, and they flipped us back over, and we continued, and they didn't That's really stop us. That's how you know you built it anything. right. <laughs> yeah, but it was just like thinking about going off-roading, something simple. You, know, you roll, you hit a tree, or you you know flop or something. That's I knew a dude. Safety is super important. I knew a guy that um, built a cage for like a, you know like a razor, like a UTV, and most of them don't have like the door bar, mm-hmm. so it's just like that A pillar with no other structure in there, and he endowed, so he went forward. And the cage bent back, and he hit his head on the ground and jammed his neck. He didn't break it or anything, but like he was, he couldn't move his neck for like a week or two. Oh, no. So lucky, yeah. yeah. Very it's lucky. very scary. 
yeah. And because I, I think you've also built it like a little profile, right? So like it only so it look cool. It look cool, <laughs> but yeah. So yeah, definitely like the, and who knows what material it was made out of. So. So why don't we transition directly into Greg's tip of the week, which is perfect on this subject. Uh, well, I think tip of the week we were talking about just you know trail prep, making yeah. sure oh, you right, yeah. yeah you you maintain everything and just look over stuff. Uh, we had a customer just a little while ago. It came in. We were just going to do some work on a, a roof for the top of it. And uh, I took a peek underneath. It was just I like to see how people build things because every fabricator is different. A lot of rigs are just built different. And I immediately noticed that the uh, rear double triangulated four link, the whole cross member had four hairline cracks in it. And it was, if that had let go and no one ever noticed it, you'd lose the whole back half of the Jeep right there on the trail. That's really hard to recover uh, wow. while you're out there. So at that point, we're easily able to take care of it and make sure it was going to be right. But if someone didn't catch that and they just, oh, it's my beater rig, you know, just leave it on the trailer or whatever, and then something does break, it can turn a super fun weekend into something horrible. Okay, well, we want to transition into a couple of rough stuff related things. So Ryan has um, a new product he wants to talk about. Uh, yeah, we've uh, been working on it for a few months. Um, we actually just put it up on the website, um, but we just released the Ford nine and three quarter diff cover. Um, and uh, yeah, that one, it's for the uh, the newer F-150s. There's some expeditions that have it, um, some of the, the E-series vans. Um, definitely double check what actually you have under there before you start ordering. Um, but uh, yeah, it's standard, standard rough stuff cover, three eighths plate. Um, guaranteed for life, um, but uh, yeah, definitely the next best thing for your, your Raptor and F-150. So this product retails for $135. You can find it on our website under the category new products, but the part number is R2486-A. Um, and it's pretty cool. I think it's a. I think Pretty it's. Neat. <laughs> I think it's been a product that we've talked about for a while, and we we get a lot of calls and questions about it. Um, when are we going to do that? When are we going to have it? So I think it's pretty exciting. Yeah, any new cover we do, I think, is awesome. Like the, yeah. the fabricated covers are just cool looking, and they're just like in, like that's been like our tried and true like number one awesome product since day one because they're. Uh, we never have any problems with them. I think we maybe had one person wear through one, maybe? Yeah, there was a 14-bolt cover a guy had been running for, he was probably one of the first people that bought them, but since he had you know, rubbed it on so many rocks over the years <laughs> and so many trips, he, he actually rubbed through the bottom of it until he got to that bottom bolt. Um, so he was actually missing a bolt on it. And he said it still held oil, wasn't leaking, anything like that, but we just warranted it out and gave him a new one. <laughs> Um, so we have an older product that um, is also tried and true. Ryan, you want to talk about that one? Uh, yeah, the Deaver uh, Long Travel Spring Under Kit. Um, that's like your, your perches, your U-bolts, and your, your plates. Um, that one's a popular one for the, uh, the Spring Under uh, two-wheel drive uh, jump truck guys um, running those uh, two-and-a-half-inch wide Deaver Springs. Um, a nice thing about those, um, it tucks the, uh, the ends of the U-bolts um, up above where the uh, leaf springs are. So... You don't have to worry about bending them, uh, having having issues taking the nut off, or having to uh, take a cutoff wheel to uh, to take them apart. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a weld on kit. You weld your perch on there. The uh, the plates require some welding. Uh, we leave that stuff unwelded, um, just because you're going to be pulling the welder out anyway to put that on, save you some cost um, just by doing it yourself. If you have welding questions, contact Greg. <laughs> <laughs> so that product retails for $125. The product is D-E-A-V-W-I-Y-P. So you can find this under, is this under, it looks like it's uh, under yeah, it's Desert under Racer, racer section. Category. It's also under the, uh, the um, swap kit section under the, okay. the leaf spring. Cool. And you can use code Rough Stuff Podcast for 10% off any of these products at any time. Um, we also have a new product in the works that I was hoping you could talk about, Ryan. Uh, yeah, so we recently um, just came out with the TJ rear bumper um, that has like the, uh, the hitch piece and then uh, the, the rear step. Um, so we uh, decided to sell the, uh, the rear step stuff separately as well. Um, so kind of do a do-it-yourself style rear step bumper. Comes with a receiver and then the, uh, the bent tube and the uh, um, dimple-dyed uh, step plates that uh, go over the top of it. 
So we hopefully will have that product out. When do you think, Garrett? I think there will. We got most of the stuff here. Probably within the next couple of weeks, I think we'll have it yeah. listed. Cool. Okay. Do you still do the competitive shooting? No, it's no. been quite a while. Not really. I'd like to do it again, but yeah, it was the first Sunday of every month, first or second Sunday of every month in own. There's the uh, SDPS, IDPA uh, shooting competitions that I used to do. Yeah. But they're pretty fun. Yeah, I've been wanting to do those for a while, but I keep not looking into it any further than this. Well, maybe we'll have to force each yeah. other to go. So. <laughs> yeah. Didn't Stuart, he was our guest on our last podcast, didn't he do one and he and he got hurt? Yeah, with the Sacramento Police Department. They uh, He had a ricochet. No, him? a ricochet. Oh, he had a ricochet. Yeah, and he, they're just sitting like back in, like in the tower area. It's like right off the side of the range there. And uh, yeah, Ricochet hit him in the arm and he had to go to the hospital like a day or two later to get it pulled out. It <laughs> actually went Why in a day skin, or yeah. two later? Did he not realize anything was in there? Yeah, he, he, he thought it was just an injury. He didn't realize there was like a foreign object in his body. Oh, Stuart. <laughs> yeah. I think the only thing I've had is the, one of the very first times I went, you know, you're always kind of nervous and you end up doing things faster than you should. It's one of those things you got to like slow down and just take your time with it. Um, I think we had to shoot from retention or something where you're not supposed to have your arms out. Mm. And I had it way too close and fired in the rack, hit my ribs or something, and it didn't, uh, didn't quite, you know, release all the way. Nice. So, but uh, every time I've been there, it's always been very safe, very controlled. So. Is that the Lincoln one? It's actually in Iome. Oh, I oh, okay. Yeah. Where's so Iome? It's, uh, you take, you go, like I usually go all the way down Sunrise, the Jackson Highway, and go down Highway 16 just a little bit. Oh, Okay. Well, it takes a little bit to get there, but uh, but it's it's pretty nice. I think they usually set up seven different scenarios or something, and they're all uh, CCW-based. So it's a semi-hot ra- uh, range where you do carry your firearm and your ammunition and everything on you. The firearm is never loaded mm-hmm. unless you're up running the course. But they have seven courses and like 120 people uh, that go every time. And they're all uh, different scenarios, and they're based off of or they're scored based off of time and accuracy. So and it's kind of first come first serve. It's super fun, kind of low key. And uh, did you always do pistol or did you do three gun? Uh, the ones I've gone to are all handgun. Okay. So uh, they do have other competitions and other days where you can do multi firearm. So either shotguns, rifles, or a mix of both. Okay. We did when I was a young teenager. Uh, my dad would drive us up into the Placerville area to take a hunter's uh, safety course. So we talked a lot about. You know, we were always around firearms and stuff growing up and, you know, just making sure everything is super safe and, you know, never point anything you don't plan on destroying, never put your finger on the trigger until you're actually ready. And it's all, it's just like wheeling, everything is fun as everything is. Mm-hmm. It's safety is super important. Mm-hmm. So Garrett, do you want to read a rough stuff review? Oh. It is on the other side of that page. For the Rough Stuff Inch and a Half OD Steering Tube Clamp yep, by Gerald Reif in Indiana. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the title is Beefy Yet Sexy. <laughs> I ordered these as a steering stabilizer clamps for my Inch and a Half DOM High Steer Kit. I was not disappointed. Very precise machining, finishing, and super thick sidewall makes these clamps a strong point on any tube on your Jeep. The part number is R1697, and they're $34.50 each. Thanks, Gerald, for that sexy and beefy Beefy, review. (laughs) Um, Well, thank you, Greg, for doing this podcast with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you, Ryan, for sitting in with us. Oh, yeah, you bet. So we will put up Greg's website and his website link so you guys can know how to contact him. Do you do any jobs that are not... Like, how local will you do a job? Uh, what do you mean, how local? Um, for your customer base. Do you care? Like, do you do everything in-house at your business? Yeah. Or do you ever go oh. out off-site and, like, do work? Or So people know, like, if if they can have the honor <laughs> of using you. Yeah. Uh, no, we've actually had... I've had people drive from different states over and leave their okay. vehicles with me. I've had things towed in, shipped in, uh, all kinds of stuff. There are some... I try and stay in the shop as much as I can. You know, we're not a big like retail store where we do we do mostly labor stuff, but because I do have a location, we do have normal operating hours. There's just me and, and one other guy, uh, so I try and be there as much as I can. But I do on occasion schedule mobile work. Usually, the mobile work we doing we do is like we do 
shock servicing and tuning. So we'll do tuning sessions with people and or we'll go out to race events and work with a bunch of the racers. Like we're obviously not in the shop for the week of the hammers because we're usually down there. Um, there are some jobs where we've been able to go out mobily or someone's been having a problem with something. And sometimes after hours, I'll try and swing by and see what's going on and just... I always like helping people, so there's I try and do everything I can. Uh, but obviously, if I'm not at the shop all the time, there's a lot of people I might be missing out on because they show up, waste their time, and I'm not there, and that's kind of rude. So I try, <laughs> try yeah. to be there as much as I can. <laughs> well, we'll link your contact information so people can call you and email you. Um, and then also, what's your Instagram handle? Uh, I think it's just Rock and Road Performance. It is? Okay. Yeah. All right, cool. So... Um, if you guys have any suggestions or comments, please email us, uh, podcast at roughstuffinc.com. Okay, thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.